0: Hello, I'm Scott Sarsh And I'm Eben Novi-Williams, and you're listening to The Sportacast.
1: Oh, I really thought on this one, Eben, you would come with something special. See, Ronnie, if, uh, if you're a listener of the pod, whatever the topic du jour is, Eben likes to, or usually, tease it up in some special way, like... You're listening to the storage version of the podcast today or or whatever, but
0: nothing. The Lost Archives of the NBPA edition. There you go, exactly. Raiders
1: of the Lost Archives of the NBPA. And and our guest is Ron Klempner, longtime friend Ronnie. And I gotta say, Ron, this is gonna be sort of like a trip down memory lane for for you and me. The most podcasty thing we've done. Because if people didn't read Jacob Feldman's story. In short, and I'm going to paraphrase this and and you can then take it from there, but there were a whole bunch of boxes around the NBPA offices, uh, cluttering things up, probably made a move or two to different offices. It was time to get rid of them. And you said, wait, 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 you know, typical to your hoarder mode. You said, wait, 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 let me go take a look anyway. And it's a good darn thing you did for the sports world because what was saved, what was recovered and what will now see the light of day again I'm going to term it a treasure trove of sports business memorabilia walking down to sort of memory lane of the NBPA. You tell me it it kind of succinctly how, how it all came about where you were the one to go thumbing through these boxes.
2: I'm, I'm either the best person to do it or the absolute worst, probably the worst Because I have been, um, really, my wife does want to put me on like extreme hoarding. It all comes from, you know, my father who came over to this country in 1939 from Poland, still didn't really wrap his arms around the concept that you can actually throw things away and and then replace them with new Mm -hmm. things. And so, um, yeah, I I hate to, to throw stuff away. I always think that there will be some use of stuff. And then it's just this notion of, you know, since I was a kid, at Joel Fine's bar mitzvah and Thurman Munson showed up and signed my Whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, what what Joel Fine had
1: Thurman Munson at his bar mitzvah?
2: Incredibly. His father, Malcolm, was like a was a lawyer down on Court Street, and uh, he had Henny Youngman at his bar mitzvah, believe it or not. Oh my god. Yes, performed for the adults. And for the for the for the kids, he had Rudy May, who was a pretty decent Yankee pitcher, but was, you know, fine. He came with a box of balls. And Thurman Munson, I guess this is how guys did stuff nowadays. They just rolled together. They were on their way somewhere and Thurman Munson walked in with him and we're like, all oh, right, fine, Rudy May, but here's Thurman Munson. So I pulled out my, um, my place card, you know, where my table seating thing. And I pulled out, there was a little Polaroid picture that they took of you when you walked in, I pulled that out and I had Thurman Munson sign that. So ever since that, I've had that. And I keep thinking like, you know, interesting, different like pieces of memorabilia. Yeah, sure. Everyone can have like Mookie Wilson and Bill Buckner signed, you know, that you can get, you know, 50 million of them, but, you know, something that is, you know, a little bit of a unique piece. And I, I just, you know, I kind of take for granted with this job, I've been doing it a really long time that, um, you know, I come across stuff every day that really, you know, folks would be very much interested in. Sometimes I stash, sometimes I don't. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we came up with all of, you know, you have this box story, which I'm glad to tell you about the boxes,
1: Evan. I'll let you take it from here. But are you like me thinking headlines already, like Thurman Munson, Bar Mitzvahs, and the value of hoarding? Like I, I know I want to read that.
0: Yeah, Ronnie. It sounds like you're the the perfect person. You said either the best or the worst. It sounds like you're the perfect person to have gone through this. If you don't mind, just keep painting a picture for for folks who are listening. What came out of these boxes? What kind of documents does the NBPA have that you came across? And eyes widened as you pulled them out.
2: Um. Well. I pulled a few out here that I'll I'll just, you know, I could, I could, that I I don't know that Jacob was able to, you know, capture everything. I, you know, just a couple of cents that he, he captured my, my favorite. Um, that's right up in the first line of the story, which is, um, a letter that I received original copy. This is in the days when people would sign. If you CC someone, you would sign like three copies, including two to the CC people instead of actually
0: carbon copy.
2: Yes. Um, but, uh, this showed up, it was probably the brainchild of the great Arn Tellum, um, but he, uh, had, uh, Kobe Bryant sign, uh, letters, uh, though the original went to commissioner Stern and the, uh, the copies went to myself and Alex English, who was then our acting executive director that said, um, you know, dear commissioner Stern, my name is Kobe Bryant. I'm 17 years old. Uh, I would like to apply for the NBA draft because I am underage. I'm having my parents sign this letter with me. Um, and so I, I, I kind of knew that one. I should stash that at, even at the time even before Kobe was Kobe. And so I have that one. I have another one, a similar one from Carmelo, which I know that you guys have you know taken a photo of and posted. Um, and I have I have Steph Curry's, but Steph's came in a fax. Um, which on the um, yellow paper, you know, when you used to put different stuff in there. So I wonder how many, how many listeners of this podcast
1: are saying, what's a fax?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, if you got somebody to sign the fax, then that would be a, a different story. But, um, you know, so I have sort of like, um, um, you know, what you might call like ministerial letters or, you know, I mean, I guess they're business letters, whether they be, you know, someone who is applying for the draft someone who is exercising an option um, or a team that's sending the player a qualifying offer or a required tender or something like that. And, you know, oftentimes, obviously the, the player himself, you know, you could sense is, is, is obviously a, you know, a transcendent player like Kobe or sometimes I stashed them away because it was just, it's cool that we have, you know, Larry Bird, you know, here's here a, you know, Larry, you know, here's our tender that we just made the other day to this first round pick. Um, but a lot of it is the contracts, and sometimes we have original contracts uh, in our files because the players would sign a bunch and then would come to us. Sometimes we have copies. Um, just a few that I pulled out here. I have Patrick Ewing's um, 1985 rookie contract that somebody handwrote in pencil first round on it. Yes, in fact, he was a first round pick. Um, I have Kevin Garnett's rookie contract, which was the first. Year of the rookie scale that we ever did a rookie scale in the NBA in 1995, and
1: then I, oh, heard- Ronnie, let me let me jump in. I, yeah, I, I know where you're going because you're going to go the then and now, and this is where I jump in and say it's it's more than just you know th- these these contracts and pieces of paper because of the effect and impact they had not only on the NBA but sports in general. I mean, the next thing I think you're going to pick up was the Kevin Garnett contract that led to the 1998-99 labor problem, which, uh, you know, had me sitting outside of law offices for five months.
2: Correct. So that that's why, I mean, the per- it, we obviously we have a dual purpose here. Some of it is in terms of just general memorabilia, people who are, are famous and who have signed, you know, some documents that might be of interest. But some of it is of great significance to us as a union, uh, culturally, historically, um you know, for all kinds of purposes. And so, um, yeah, and that's, you know, that's a project that we're going to be working on. But yes, Kevin Garnett's contract um, that he signed in October 1997 was what launched, was you know, the face that launched a thousand ships. This is what launched. your sitting out, um, you know, uh, staking out conference rooms uh, at all kinds of hours waiting for, um, you know, people to take smoke breaks so that you can get, Whatever information I saw, right, their, when, and it's um, why
1: Michael Jordan couldn't be paid a hundred million dollars a year, even though he was worth so much more. It's because that's when the union and the owners agreed to put a high end limit on what players could earn. Like the owners looked at Kevin's contract and said, "Uh oh, where are these escalating costs going? We need." And I le- remember this. What was the big term, everybody? We need cost
2: certainty. Cost certainty, right? And it was first. First, it was cost control, and then it was cost certainty. Yes. And they and they uh yeah, that those were the running themes when Kevin signed this six-year hundred and twenty million dollar contract after two years, because the first rookie wage scale was three years and we, we uh negotiated out no restricted free agency. So you were a completely free agent after three years in nineteen ninety-five. People forget that. And they immediately realized that was a mistake when Kevin signed this after only his second year, this massive deal. And that is what launched the 1998 lockout where they said, we got to go and, um, and, and and take this under control. They had actually been trying for a while to take things back to sort of rein in the business ever since our soft cap was negotiated in 1983. um, They tried it in 1988 when we, we were able to, at that time, take advantage of the antitrust laws, um, and brought the Bridgman lawsuit. Um, they tried it in 1995, but we we had a a revolt. We had a decertification that ended in a a split deal, a compromise with this uh, rookie wage scale. And then once this Garnett contract hit, you know, all hell broke loose and and we were locked out for six months in 1998. So, um, yeah, I got a bunch of other, you know, contracts, some originals, you know, Kobe, Tim Duncan's first contract, um, you know, Shaq. Speaking of those also with the, um, you know, that have the effect of Dudley, uh, of uh, Garnett. You remember Scott very well. Chris Dudley, how many hours did you spend on the Chris Dudley cases? Yep, he is yep. many, many sort of on the Mount Rushmore of our union as someone who took advantage of, a, you know, what they perceived to be a loophole in the collective bargaining agreement that allowed him uh, to take a, a, an option after one year and out get out of his contract and resign with his team, essentially, uh, you know, blowing up the whole Larry Bird exception.
1: You and Evan will love this. In my heart, Chris Dudley, for all of the business implications on basketball and sports, in my heart, Chris Dudley will always be the impetus for me admitting that I was getting old and needed glasses because I was at Madison Square Garden watching a game and boom, dunk, right? And I don't remember who it was. It might have been Mike Wise. I don't know why. For In my mind, I remember it was Mike Wise, but I turned to Mike, I think, and I said, hey, Who was that? Was was that Ewing or Dudley? (laughs) And if you can't tell the difference between Patrick Ewing and Chris Dudley, right? It's time for glasses, right? Uh, So that was the moment. Anyway, that that was my own personal walk down memory lane.
2: Especially, by the way, if you ever watched him shoot a free throw, perhaps the ugliest free throw shooter by uh, the absolute best individual, greatest guy, ran for governor, if you remember, right? Of Oregon almost one um, and uh, really had incredible courage together with his agent Dan Fagan, and in, in challenging a, uh, a provision and, and uh, um, this this is the contract that launched those cases and disapproval
0: Ron how, how much of these things are currently right now digital I mean do you have Zion Williamson's letter declaring for the draft do you have Zion Williamson's rookie contract or is this all now uh, on, on a on a different platform in a, in a hard drive somewhere
2: that is a great point, um, and that you are 100% right. I mean, they have, they have stopped sending over um, things, contracts and, and things in uh, in hard copy. Every once in a while, you still see it. I have, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker's qualifying offer that just arrived from the, the Lakers the other day. You know, that came over as a, a FedEx, but they're not required to anymore. And most of uh, the material that we get Actually, now is um, electronic. So yeah, it is. We are certainly ending that era. It's a great point.
0: So we need NFTs for those, right? You need to figure out uh, totally. some kind of digital something. And in 30 years, the uh, your replacement will be digging out the NFTs.
2: I got to stop things. forwarding those documents around to people. Yes, great point,
1: Evan. What do you think? Our very own Mike McCann, you know, is professor of law um, at University of New Hampshire. What do you think, Ronnie? I think if we supplied these documents you could probably come up with the curriculum for, for a course on the business of sports, sports law.
2: Um, no doubt about it. It is kind of like the, uh, you know, the Billy Joel, We Didn't Start the Fire. You could do a whole history, right, world history around, you know, just as references in that song. And, and for sure, we could launch uh, individual stories that tell, you know, the story for, you know, Chris Dudley would talk about why it is that, you know, we have a Larry Bird exception. Why is our capital? hard not soft. kevin garnett certainly was um you know why we don't have a, a rookie wage scale anymore um yeah for sure we could um you know we could absolutely tell the story we could certainly tell the story of the lockout you know that existed 1998-99 um by this you know these folders here which was really i think one of my favorite finds of the last couple of months because i couldn't figure this out. I, I saw this, uh, it's a, a red weld, which is like a big red folder, um, you know, that lawyers use and this is taped and it has my signature over the tape. So that like, if you, if you opened it, you would know that the signature moved. Um, it has been and-
1: entered into the evidence locker, oh, like boxing yep. gloves. Yeah,
2: Exactly. <laughs> um, it has the word against written on the red weld folder. And I'm like, what is this? Um and so I, I opened the folder and I saw in it um the five players, original ballots signed from the five players who voted against the lockout. They were presented a proposal finally in January of nineteen ninety-nine we had no season, we hadn't started, nobody had reported to the training camp. There's no Summer League, no preseason. Uh, you know, and uh, in January we finally had um you know an offer that we were willing to take to the players. And, um, you know, we brought the guys together at the GM building at our, our Wild gotchel's offices and, um, they, they voted and here are the five against votes, original signatures, including, um, one player, um, who's who we named earlier, who was a transcendent player who voted against. And then I later found the, uh, 181 pro votes. Um, in this Redwell that, you know, shows all of the, it's a pretty much a, a who's who, original signature of players.
1: And how great is it though, Eben, how great is it that against the deal, Kobe Bryant, for the deal, Shaquille O'Neal? Even then, Shaq and Kobe were, were at <laughs> loggerheads. You know, you, you just knew it wouldn't work on the court.
0: <laughs> is, I'm curious, Ron, is there a, is there a way to, to do something with this besides kind of hold on to them? A museum certainly seems like a the kind of thing. I know you guys relatively new offices. I don't know. Is there any plan to turn this into something that is public facing, perhaps?
2: So yeah, for sure. A couple of things. One is that they we just uh, uh, we have an exhibit now at the Hall of Fame in Springfield. It's an NBPA exhibit. It's right now um, a bunch of great videos together with some uh, graphics that tell the, the story of the Union and, and our, our history um, through a bunch of different lenses, mostly with short videos that were prepared by the players. So that's on display right now in Springfield at the Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, and so that's one. One thing that we have, one place certainly where um, I'm, I'm hoping, and they also have a Kobe exhibit that's fairly recent. And so I've talked to them about, you know, his original letter, certainly. Um, the other thing is that we have, uh, and this is uh, the work of our foundation, our director, Sheree Deans, has um, really focused our foundation on really recognizing the heritage of the organization. Um, we really haven't, you know, done enough to preserve it. And so she retained, um, a company called heritage works, which will help us with our archiving. And I think the way that they do it is they help go through, identify things that really are pivotal to the organization's history, and then come up, work with you to, to come up with innovative ways to display it both for the benefit of existing employees and for the certainly the forward forward facing and the general public so that you can essentially, um, you know, uh, display the, 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 you know, the, the history of the organization. So Sheree has been doing that and we've been working with them for a couple of years. I think that's the next stop for these boxes. I think heritage works is going to go through, uh, them and then, you know, work with us to come up with some ways in which we're going to use these, uh, to be able to tell cool stories.
0: Is is it true that this all came out of a dispute with a storage provider that that the reason these boxes were in your office is because they were shipped back from a from a facility somewhere?
2: It's it's the most incredibly random thing because, you know, for years we were not the we did not have a lot of infrastructure. Scott remembers, you know, we we had a very small staff. Um the office manager was essentially the assistant to the executive director. We, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of people who were thinking, okay, well, you know, what are we doing with our files? What's our records management system? And, and we had a fair amount of turnover over the years. So people would just leave, put their stuff into boxes and it would get shipped to storage. So we just sit there and then nobody ever went and, you know, pruned it or, or, you know, decided what, what we need to, you know? Uh, so, um, yeah. It sat there for some time. We had a dispute with the um, with our storage provider, and it was just about the start of the pandemic that they, they said, okay, well, we terminated the deal. We said, fine. They said, okay, we're dumping the stuff, and they, they put it back here. and it sat in our <laughs> conference room, and the timing couldn't have been perfect because we're paying rent at the facility. Like, all right, great. So at least, you know, you could, you could host these boxes if we're not going to host people. So they were sitting here uh, up until, you know, this earlier this year and Michelle kept on saying, you know, we have to do something with these. Can we please, um, you know, figure out a game plan. And so, yeah, I started to come in and a bunch of other people did, um, you know, one day a week and, and, you know, I, I can't say that everything yet has been methodical. i right now. We're able to see, okay, if we have time to go through a box and pull out some stuff and I have pulled out some, you know, really other additional great stuff, we'll do that. Otherwise, we're just going to say this is a box that we know we need to go through and we're going to keep it and at least go through it in the future um, because we couldn't do everything during the pandemic. It was just too hard. Um, so now, yeah, people are coming back. We're back in the office a couple of days a week and we've put we've gotten rid of about half of them. Um, and then we have another 500 or so boxes in storage that I think for the most part, you know, can use a little bit of time and we can you know, go through and see what we have of value there.
1: Evan, when it comes to jurisprudence, Mr. Klempner is one of the best and brightest that sports business has ever known. Uh, But I do chuckle as he he was telling me this tale, obviously not of the journalistic mindset, because I'm like, this is so cool. I'm like, Ronnie, this is a story. Like, this is a really cool arc. People would love to read about this and know about it. So I'm glad that like we're bringing it to light and you know, weird things go through my head, Ron. As uh, as we we tape podcasts, and Evan knows, I I generally don't let him stay there. I just come out with it. So when you said the GM place, Evan, I don't know if you know that, but or where it is, but that's the uh, Fifth Avenue and Central Park South Apple Store. Like there was no Apple Store when all this was happening. That's GM Place. That's where my mind goes. That I, I was like waiting in the lobby for the offices of Wild Gottschall upstairs. And you also mentioned the ninety eight ninety nine lockout in Michael Jordan played a role. Um, We got about five minutes, Ron. I'm going to go too long. But I always remember, I want to stroll a little bit down memory lane. When Michael showed up, owners were always on their best behavior. It was like the tone in the room was always a little different when Michael was sitting there. Do you remember the session and word leaked out afterwards to a bunch of reporters that Michael told Abe Poland, if you can't make a profit, then sell your team and if i if i'm correct in the way it was told to me abe who was not not the youngest of, of owners at the time he lost it <laughs> like abe was mad like david had to go and restrain abe because he was so mad and now i wonder i got to ask michael about that next time i talk to him <coughs> because of course he's on the ownership side and like how would he like somebody telling him if you can't make a profit sell your team michael
2: not not only is he on the ownership side, but he's on the labor committee, <laughs> and that's perfect. Know, perfect. <laughs> obviously, purposely chosen. Adam is is you know he, he wasn't born yesterday, that's for sure. He's no nobody ever said that he was any, me, anybody's dummy. Yeah, no. Michael walks into the room, and and, and certainly now, uh, you know, he holds uh, you know a great um, you know great great sway and and great weight. But uh, I, I, I I love it. I love getting into it you know, with him at the sessions, I think he appreciates, you know, just the longevity. I mean, even he, you know, he he, he sort of embraced um, my presence at the table as somebody who remembered, Oh, you remember this? But I, I, I put it on him. We, we throwing, we're throwing everything back at him. So it's, you know, Michael, you know, what, when, when, you know, when you were up for free agency, when you, you know, doing this, it's, it's easy at this point to put him in that position and to say, you know, hearken him back to those days when he did have very much so the player mindset. And, um, yeah, now he sits at the table. And uh, uh, I, I don't want to say he's a bit of a hawk, but, you know, he's definitely, <laughs> known, you know, he definitely lets his views be known. So it's great.
1: What's your best and favorite Kobe Bryant? And then I'll let Evan take over.
2: My best and favorite uh, Kobe Bryant. Um, uh I I think really it speaks to, um, you know, every time we saw him, uh, he he was just entirely embracing part of it was his relationship with Derek Fisher, who is the longtime president of the union, but he, every time, you know, the union walked in, he had a real sense of, um, you know, how important the business was, um, and how, you know, instrumental, you know, we have been and could be to players, careers and their livelihoods going forward. Always just just elegant and you know smiling and genuine and welcoming. Um, you know, you don't get that from every stock player, certainly.
0: I was gonna say, going kind of piggybacking off the MJ conversation and, and Kobe also to a degree, athletes are becoming so successful off the court right now. LeBron has talked about wanting to own a team. Kevin Durant has had a pretty monstrous week from an investment standpoint. Do you think we're gonna see more former NBA players in ownership positions? like we saw with Michael? And, and, and do you think that changes at all kind of the way the league approaches things?
1: Yeah, And will they all be Hawks? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no doubt. I have no, I have no doubt that we actually will. We've already had Aaron Aflalo was very far down the road as far as his, his attempts to um, negotiate a purchase of the Timberwolves. Um, we have some guys on our executive committee right now. It's no secret, no surprise that guys who are involved with the union Always end up, um, you know, on the on the right side of of uh, the business world later on. James Jones, who is probably as instrumental of a union leader as we've had, certainly in my in my 28 years here, um, is executive of the year this year, reigning executive of the year, and uh, with at the, the Phoenix the, Suns. With the Phoenix Suns, it doesn't surprise me. Um, and uh, a fellow on our executive committee by the name of Andre Udalla. If I had to make a prediction. I would say that uh, you know, he would be up there uh, immediately. But there's no sense that the, you know, the, um, the empowerment that the players have felt generally, both in terms of social justice and in terms of you know, just the business, uh, generally while they're players, um, you know, I, I, I think is undoubtedly going to lead them to uh, ownership situations in the very near future.
1: Ronnie, thank you so much for taking that trip down memory lane. And thanks for being that hoarder that you are, you know, never a negative, because uh, I, I really had, it It was a treat to, to watch you, not only to see the documents, but to sit at the table and watch your reaction and your recollections in real time as you pulled them out was a real treat, because it really did shape the business of the NBA over decades. And it's not everybody who gets to say that.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it
1: all right he's ronnie klempner senior counsel at the nbpa the other guy is ebin novi williams on the twitter at novi underscore williams i am scott soshnik on the twitter at soshnik cora veltman our social media editor loves when i remind you that the show is at sporticast which is the hub of what will become the sportico podcast
2: network